When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. I'm Leo Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with. It's an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Take a second before we get started to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening from today, whether you're checking us out on YouTube, on Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. Uh, Subscribe, follow along. We put multiple interviews out every single week. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest, in fact, it's a special episode, a trio episode. We're going to call this the AOR episode. Todd Rundgren. Uh, We're going to go on a 50 years quest with Todd Rundgren. Then Uriah Heep, who just released their 25th album, We'll talk about that LP, Living the Dream, and then the guests who who also have a brand new record. Their first in a very long time. The future is what it used to be. I'll be talking with Gary Peterson and Rudy Sarzo of the guests who later on. But we'll start with Mr. Todd Rundgren. As I mentioned, it's a 50 years quest here. We'll start out in 1968, the 50th anniversary of the debut with his band Naz, which spurred that uh, hit, Hello, It's Me. Then we'll hit 1978 and the Hermit of Mink Hollow, which gave us Can We Still Be Friends? We'll also dive in further on that record with songs like Bag Lady and Bread and find out how that ties to his newest album, 2017's White Knight, as well as working with the Lemon Twigs. It's a very special episode. Kyle Meredith 
with Todd Rundgren. Hey, Todd. Hello. Well, I sort of want to take a um, I want to take a fifty year journey <laughs> in the next twenty minutes here, uh, talking about a lot of stuff, past and present. And 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 from what I gather, this has sort of been on your mind too, because you have the autobiography coming out. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I can't give you an exact date, but they say it'll be before Christmas. So um, I've seen the proofs. So it's not uh, an illusion. <laughs> Actually, is coming out. What has that trip been like for you? I, I know it's sort of different for every artist when they have to, you know, mine the past in, in that sort of way. It isn't something that I had like a burning desire to do. But you get to a certain point in your life and you realize somebody is going to tell the story and you'd rather it be yourself than somebody else. So as much as it seemed like homework to me, and as much as it took me almost 20 years to finish it, <laughs> it's uh, finally a, a big load off my mind. And I hope not to have to write another one for a couple of decades. <laughs> well, maybe some of this stuff will still be fresh of mind then. maybe we'll, we'll start, I guess, with the past and work our way forward a little bit because it happens to be the 50th anniversary of uh, – of the NAS debut, which, uh, you know, it came out in 1968. The uh, Open My Eyes came out that year. I think the, the full length came out that year, too, right? Uh, yeah, well, the exact timeline is uh, hidden in ancient history. The band kind of got together in 67, um, but we had a relatively short uh, indenturehood, and we got discovered fairly quickly. But once we did get discovered, it was kind of like, we discovered a way to break the band up, too, <laughs> in the process. Uh, the manager that we had insisted on keeping us kind of off the road because he wanted to build up interest and and uh, ticket prices and things like that. And the end result was that the band hardly ever played. And so as time went on, we didn't have that camaraderie that develops when you go out on the road and play a lot. You know, we were mostly just sniping at each other all the time. Still, to have all of that going on around you, you know, as you sort of say there, going from zero to 60, you know, with, with success finding you very quickly. I mean, what was that like during that time to see Open My Eyes sort of lift off in that way? Well, the funny thing is we we were expecting Open My Eyes to be our, you know, big smash to be hit single. But for some reason, radio did not respond to it the way they did to the B-side, which was a dirty version of Hello, It's Me. Mm -hmm. So after I had actually left the band, that's when Hello, It's Me began to happen at radio. And as a result, I did some gigs with the band in a couple of far-flung places. And I think St. Louis and Texas or something like that, a few gigs where I just fly in, play the gig, and then leave again. <laughs> and so that was about, that was like the high point of the NAS experience, you know, <laughs> actually playing some regular gigs. But by then, Carson Van Austin had already quit the band, so I never knew who was going to show up playing bass. And uh, fortunately, after that, I got a something of a real gig working at the Albert Grossman organization doing engineering and record production. I do want to hit on the sound real quick there, though, before I move on, because... When I look back, you know, so I, I wasn't there. I, I wasn't around yet when all this was happening. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm really looking at it through historical hindsight. But to hear the jump of sound between what was going on in rock music in 1963 and, and what you all were doing by the time 1967 and 68 rolled around is monumental to me. I mean, it's such a huge jump, or it at least sounds like to me, to get to that garage sound. 
I don't know if it felt like that or if you can attribute to that or anything, but there's so much that happened in those years that changed everything. It's seeming like like every single you know month. Well, the formula previous to the so-called British invasion of the Beatles was that you find some handsome guy and just put any kind of backup musicians behind him. Nobody knew their names and nobody cared. And so for a lot of people, myself as well, you know, I made the in 64 that I was going to be a faceless guitar player in, in the back somewhere. And then when the Beatles, the Beatles <laughs> changed it, <laughs> just like they did everything else, you know, it was essentially they changed the, the format and that made it possible for anyone to get into the game. So instead of it being just professional songwriters, the Beatles wrote their own material too. So everyone, when they started a band, realized they'd have to write material as well. That's why things got so sort of creative after that. It was no longer just the bailiwick of professional songwriters. Now for, for you all, though, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if there was this much thought that went into it, but, you know, co- having come from Woody's Truck Stop, did that? Did you find that Naz needed to be different from that, or was it sort of more of just the next progression? Well, Woody's Truck Stop had the intent of being... Uh, We started out as a blues band, but about six months later, they heard the Grateful Dead's first album, and they all wanted to take acid and go make West Coast-style music, which I didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. So I left the band at that point and decided I wanted to start a band that was more had more English influence to it. So it was inspired more by like the Yardbirds and uh, and the Who and a little bit of beach boys thrown in for some reason but um yeah the things that we modeled the nas after had nothing to do with the blues pretty much except through you know an english interpretation of it and uh yeah they went off went to the country and got their heads together and took acid and were never heard from again <laughs> just in history well we'll jump forward speaking of history let, let let's dive in uh 10 yeah. years later 1978 Herman of Minkalo comes out and this becomes another big hit for you you know especially thanks to the single can we still be friends having been around now um you know for for over 10 years uh I don't know if you'd call yourself a seasoned vet at that point maybe you would could you see how the ups and downs of a career would happen at that point, you know, was there still the the desire and hanging on to this has to be a hit? I never had that kind of attitude because after I left the NAS, I principally became an engineer and record producer, and I was quite successful at it. So my all of my own records were vanity projects of a sort. And so if they had hits or didn't have hits, it didn't make any difference to me. It was still the era of the album artist, and I slotted well into that. Uh, the era of the album artist didn't last much longer than that, but uh, it worked out for me. And it pretty much defined the way that I made music ever since, which is I am not a stylist in the sense that I'm looking to create some recognizable sound that I can milk for the rest of my career. I've always been more of an explorer, and I think that's what my audience expects of me at this point. Absolutely. And in fact, we'll get into that a little bit here with White Knight, because that's completely true for what you're doing these days. Before I leave that, that you know, I guess with that in mind, too, when you look back at the critical response to it, and and it's a great record, and it had its fans and everything back then, a lot of people did call that a return to pop for you, which 
you know, Utopia might have been doing around there as well. Is that how you heard the record, A Return to Pop? And uh, is there any th- reason that you might have come back around to it at that point in that way? Well, I, I think it was the first record that I, uh, that I seriously did by myself in my own studio in Lake Hill, New York, up past Bearsville. I moved to the country in the mid-'70s, essentially moved a lot of the equipment that I had. I bought some new equipment, built a little studio up there, and started once again making records principally by myself. So the preceding records were a combination of Utopia records or Utopia, or, or records of my own, which I used various members of Utopia and other musicians from the New York City area. So it was a chance for me to to write within the limitations of my playing ability. In other words, there are some things that I can write that I can't play myself, and I have to get someone else to play them. But Hermit of Mikalo, the writing itself had to be simple and straightforward enough that I was able to perform everything on the record. So essentially an expression of my limitations as a player <laughs> it ends up being uh, a as much as it is an ex- you know an experiment in songwriting there's a there's some songs that i listen to bag lady and bread which you know seem to be you know two reflections of the more uh humanitarian uh slightly political side of thing you know it's life in the 70s or today you know those are st- uh, still two songs that you know, completely ring true with with the lyrics that you've got going on there. And I started making the threads, I guess, to the stuff that's even, you know, happening on, on your latest record with White Knight, with I Got Your Back, you know, and you hear those lines like, we will feed the hungry. I don't know, to revisit these themes or to see them go through history in this way and in, in certain ways, does it feel like it doesn't change and you find yourself writing about the same things that, unfortunately, we shouldn't still need to be writing about at this point? Well, I don't know. I believe it's the, I believe it's the Bible that says the poor are always with us. So that's why the principal admonition of, of so-called Christianity was anti-materialistic. You know, give all of your crap away and minister to the poor. Pretty much nobody does that, right. but right. <laughs> that was the original admonition. And while I'm not a Christian, I sort of take certain messages to heart, and that's one that has always meant something to me. I I didn't grow up in poverty, but I grew up, you know, lower middle class, not particularly privileged in any particular way. We never starved, but, you know, it was an event if we ever went out to eat, you know, it might be once a month or something. So I know what it's like to have a lack of a surety about where your resources are coming from. And I empathize with it, even though I haven't had to live like that for for several years. So <laughs> I, uh, I like to be, uh, we are in the world, but not of the world. Have you ever heard that? You know, in other words, you can't ignore what's around you. You have to develop some sort of philosophy about the things that you find up. Uh, unpleasant as well as the things that you think are right. And it's, you know, for me, it's like a constant challenge. Do I give my money to this guy or to the guy across the street? Do I give anybody money? What am I, you know, how do I really feel about this process? Every time it happens, I go through a whole series of thoughts about, you know, what is my responsibility to this strange person that I've never met before? 
and it eventually finds its way into the material that, you know, the kind of daily questioning that you have about why you're in the position that you're in and somebody else is struggling and can't figure out what to do with their life. And, and and that makes it all over the the latest record too, White Knights. I mean, this is you know the threads that are running through with all the things we're seeing in the news uh, for certain. How much of that is you, and how much is that is your collaborators? How much freedom did you turn over to the vocalists that you're working with on that record? Well, I had a hand in most all of the lyrical aspects of it. Uh, in other words, I did a lot of songwriting and just gave it off to other singers to execute. There were a few instances where there were some minor lyrical contributions. Uh, the only instance where it was a full lyrical collaboration was Tinfoil Hat with uh, Donald Fagan, and that's because we just coincidentally happened to be in the same place at the same time. All of the other collaborations were done remotely. So, uh, And in most instances, somebody would send me a, a if I was collaborating with someone else, they'd send me a demo that wasn't finished, something they'd been working on, and then they just couldn't figure out how to take it to conclusion. And then I'm able sometimes to put fresh ears on it and hear it in a different way, and then suddenly we've got a new song. So it happens probably, you know, a number of different ways, but I, in my recollection, I think pretty much all of the lyrics are of my creation. So you could say that the essential message is coming from me and that, you know, others empathize with it and make their contribution accordingly. So many strong moments all over it where, you know, I mean, it's, they take aim, they stab when they need to stab, you know, it's, it's a really powerful record and I got to congratulate you on that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, I've gotten much, very much into this collaboration thing to the point that I'm, I'm continuing. There were some projects that never got completed in time to make it to the last record, so there are there's some outstanding things from that era, but I'm continuing to make contact with other artists and ideally set up the circumstances for us to collaborate together. So I don't really have another grand plan for a record of my own that doesn't involve more collaboration in one way or another. Well, you do a lot. We're playing the Lemon Twigs new album right now. It's a huge favorite of ours, and and, and you're a part of that as well, right? Yeah, just uh, of all the other things that happened to me, (laughs) this peculiar association with the Lemon Twigs has come about. Uh, It started out, I think, you know, that they were fans. I heard that through the grapevine, sort of, and started to learn about the band. And then last year they asked me to sit in on a number with them so they learned couldn't i just tell you and we played that at coachella together and then some months after that i went to their studio in long island and sang on their new record so it's really sort of a remarkable it's a remarkable association because they're so young in one sense i mean they're playing music that was already put to bed years before they were born they could be my grandchildren the oldest one is 20 (laughs) It's just so much fun to see to see some young artists who, who first of all have an obviously they obviously have a gift. You know, the two of them as part of it is because of their upbringing in musical theater and their dad is a musician as well. So that gives them a a head start. But also they're extremely ambitious in the things that they do. Um, it's not just simply writing a song; it's writing a a, a little opera. You know, this, you know, they remind me of Queen or, you know, some other kind of high concept 
sort of act from the 80s, uh, from the 70s. Right. So uh, I'm pretty excited for them. Uh, I hope this really takes off. Yeah, well, like I said, we're big fans of it over here, and I, I love what you've done with them and the contributions. And I, I sort of want to wrap it up here, too, with, with talking about your contributions. Uh, as far as the big round number anniversaries go, I, I did look at 1988, and while that was an off-year album-wise for you, you were uh, producing, and that was the year you did the uh, Pursuit of Happiness, the Love Junk album, which I don't know if it's anything you've thought about lately. Ah. <laughs> um, well, I had thought about it lately because I asked Mo Berg to contribute something to White Knight, and he came up with one of the signature tunes that we um, that we continue to play, even though we we're not doing a White Night show right now. But let's do this, which was the product of a musical idea of his and a lyrical idea of mine. Essentially, was a chance for us to work together again. And as far as I know, Mo Berg has never actually left the music business. Uh, he doesn't play as much anymore, but he still produces records for other people. So I think it, you know has worked out well for him. Uh, I haven't been able to connect with him lately. All the times that I've been to Canada, we just haven't been able to get together. But um, someday we'll get together and reminisce about the pursuit of happiness. Well, it's a fun record to listen to. I, I, I hadn't listened to it in a while. It, it still sounds great. And You know, I thought when you took that on, you know, the college rock scene was in full force of the 80s, and, and it probably owed a lot to you and what you had put in play, you know, decades before I, I don't know if that's why the artist came to you and how much you were aware of it at the time that, you know, a lot of these bands, they sort of happened because of what you had been doing before then. Did did that kind of stuff register with you? Well, I knew that Mo Berg was a fan of mine because he said so. <laughs> so you know, he... Uh... You know, he always wanted me to do the uh, Pursuit of Happiness records, those two that I did. And as a matter of fact, before he put the Pursuit of Happiness together, he had sent me some music that he had done either with like a prior group or as himself when he was like 15 or 16 or something like that, which was all very kind of like very sort of proto Pursuit of Happiness. It wasn't quite where Pursuit of Happiness eventually wound up, but you could see the seeds of it and what he was doing. And I think when it, once he put the band together, he got much more bold about the lyrical ideas and, you know, saying uh, things that people were thinking but never put into lyrics before, uh, especially about sex and, and that sort of thing and his relationships. So he had a very unique uh, viewpoint. You know, he was not sugarcoating a lot of what he wrote about, you know, wrote about exactly what he felt, and especially in terms of sex and relationships and that sort of thing. Well, uh, it certainly is cool, like I said, listening to that. And, and that's where we'll end our big trip through time. I really appreciate you taking the uh, the long trip with me, and I can't wait to hear how these stories shake out in the autobiography as well, because I'm sure there's plenty more story to tell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll have more to talk about next time. Awesome, Todd. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, I appreciate it. Take care of yourself. Terrific. You too. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, my thanks to Todd Rundgren for that uh, call right there. Looking forward to reading his autobiography when it arrives later on this year. Now, turning to Mick Box of the band Uriah Heep. They have just released their 25th album. It's called Living the Dream. We'll talk about how the process has stayed the same and changed throughout the years, how they've uh, kept up with that classic Heap sound, especially with having so many members come and go throughout the years, and we'll even get an update on some 50th anniversary plans. It's Kyle Meredith with Mick Box of Uriah Heep. 
Hello, Kyle. It is a uh, pleasure to talk to you. Congratulations on this really powerful new record. Oh, that's marvelous. Thank you very much, my friend. I mean, uh, and 25 albums. Uh, I think that's the official count that I've been reading. Do you still... It is the official count. Yeah. Yeah. Have to get a birthday cake made with it, huh? <laughs> you know, this far in, do you still find yourself playing with how an album is written, or or have you settled into maybe the formula? You know, how how it happens from album to album now. I don't think um, you know. I'm, I'm a writer, so I write every day, whether it be a, you know a, a riff, a chord sequence, a, a, a lyric, or a title, or a blog, or a book, or a, or a story, or something. You know, it's just something I do every day. So when it's time to get to do an album. Um, I get with our keyboard player, Phil Lanzen, who's my writing partner. He's, he does the same thing on keyboards I do on guitar uh, with the ideas. He's got the same work ethic. So we just get together and, and pull our ideas and start writing songs. So it's, 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 it's pretty much the same way, to be honest, because we, you know, we always do the music first, then we do the melody, then we do the lyrics, then we present it to the band. And it's incredible how it comes out. And I'll hit on some of these songs, too, you know, Graced by Heaven. I mean, that comes out just swinging like something heavy anyway. It seems like maybe we're making a statement right out of the gates. Is that the case? It is a statement out of the gate. You're absolutely correct there, yeah. We we wanted to do that because we wanted to prove to everybody that, you know, where we're alive and kicking and we still have the same passion for our music we've always had. And I think Grace does that perfectly. And it dr- drags people in or draws people in, I hope. And then that shuts them down for the rest of the album. Yeah. And, and in fact, we don't really get to come up for air uh, until Water's Flowing kind of arrives, uh, which brings that acoustic back in. Do you, do you still find yourself, especially on a heavy record like this, do you find yourself needing or wanting that, uh, you know, classic acoustic sound to be found somewhere in there? Well, we've always had that to our in our armour, if you like, and nearly every album. So um, it's something we established way back in our first album. We're very, very, very humble. We, we, you know, we we had the you know the anthemic Gypsy, you know, which was very hard rock, and then we had something as beautiful as Come On Belinda, which is an acoustic song, you know. So we've always had that, as I say, in in, in our um, armoury. So. It was a natural extension for us to do that. You know, the song was written and it fitted perfectly in the, in, in the format of the album. And speaking of those older songs, uh, some fans have uh, have pointed out that "Falling Under Your Spell" feels like it has a little bit of that uh, easy living DNA in it. Is that uh, is that coincidence? Uh, wishful hearing from fans, or, or do you hear that as well? well when I when I heard it said to me, I, I nearly fell off my chair. <laughs> <laughs> Because I couldn't see any comparisons at all, you know, because Easy Living is just a shuffle and well, under your spell isn't. So it, it, it really surprised me that, that that comparison was made. But So I'm still trying to, to get my head around um, how, how that does sound like Easy Living. But it is a three-minute song that has a lot of powerful elements in it. As as Easy Living did, so maybe maybe it's it's it's, it's that that they're listening to. Yeah, well, nostalgia is always strong with uh, with fans, especially when you've got a band that's been around for as long as you all have. You know, I, I do find that sometimes it's a very powerful drug, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> In a classic set, when you've had as many members as you've had come and go throughout the years, and in separate times, how do you? come to a point to find that classic sound or, or is it even that you need to find that classic sound because you know i don't know because you know this this sounds like a heap record at the end of it it sounds like you know a, a one from today but there's still that there like how is that completely possible i guess is what i'm asking well i think um you know we established a template a musical template at least back in the 70s with it with our first album and I think we've carried that all the way through. You know, if you've got the, the hammered organ, you've got the wah-wah guitar, you've got the five-part harmonies that we have, distinctive lead vocal, 
I mean, you apply that to any song, it becomes heapy. And that's exactly that's how we view it, you know. I mean, we take the songs to um, the band, and they may have an inkling of heat, but once 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 the band get hold of it, it becomes heap in seconds, you know. Um, so it's just it's just how we apply ourselves to each song. And I had to ask about it's all been said too, because uh, on the surface, you know, just that title uh, again, when you've been around for about fifty years in this band, it, it seems like that would sort of be the wall that you're you're playing against. That it, that it's all been said. As a, certainly an element of that and well done for, for noticing that yes <laughs> yeah and what is the challenge i mean how hard is the challenge for you to to kind of find something new to say and something new to offer in each new record i think well you know we're, we're a band that travel in 61 countries around the world so you know we're, we're out there we see different cultures different things happening in the world you know um as long as you've got your creative antenna out, you know, there's, there's plenty to write about. I mean, um, it's all been said was just a reflection on newspapers and how they present news and how people, you know, hunger for their very the very next line to be written and how crime and celebrities sit side by side each other on a daily basis, you know. Um, so it's just a comment on that, really. But there's there's plenty of uh, things out there. If, you, if you've got imagination, there's, there's no shortage of things to write about. Yeah. Speaking of that early, is it too early to start thinking about that 50th anniversary, or or has that already been in your mind? It, 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 it keeps coming up, I have to say, you know, and we're, we're treating, because the, the, the first album was released in 1970, we're looking at 2020 being the 50th anniversary, but we're absolutely immersed in the Living the Dream promotion tours and into, you know, the, the actual full touring schedule, and somewhere along that line, the ideas will flow and we'll talk to our management and we'll find something exciting to do in the 50th anniversary, because it's a milestone that not many bands have, have reached, and we're very proud we, we, we will have reached that, that, that milestone, and, uh, and, and, it, and it has to be celebrated, you know, for the fans alone. It is an incredible milestone, you know, and early congratulations on that, by the way. You know, <laughs> we'll get to the real thing, I guess, in well, a few thank years. Thank you very much. Thank yeah. you. Uh, for the upcoming shows, how much of this record do you incorporate into the, uh, into the tour? Well, we're going into a rehearsal period on the 1st of October before we start a two-month run through Europe uh, to end at Christmas. And um, what we're going to do is, we, we, what we try to do is, we, because we travel in 61 countries in the world, we kind of get a feel for the songs that people like to hear uh, from a heritage, from our old stuff, if you like. So, you know, the July mornings, maybe the Stealing, the Gypsy, or Easy Living, or maybe Lady in Black. Um, so we use that as a nucleus, and then we'll add in tracks from the new album. Obviously, Grazed by Heaven will be... a, a an inclusion, take away my souls, an, an obvious stage number, you know. So there are obvious ones that will will pop in and, and, and see how it fits with the with the with the, with the historical stuff. And then we'll we'll look at some older stuff that we haven't performed for ages and, and rehearse that up and put put that in the, into the the, the the pile too. And so it'll be a set list that that actually goes from our first album, very heavy, very humble, nineteen seventy. Run up to live in the dream in 2018. I keep saying 2000, God help us. 2018. And it'll be a good journey through our career, our musical career, which is great. Well, that's a hell of a career. I noticed a couple other records are sort of. You know, celebrating their own big round anniversaries. I don't know how much stock you're, or you know, how much attention you give on that, but a record like Fallen Angel, you know, which it's 30 years earlier this year. Uh, is there any reflection on that record? Is there anything that comes to mind? Because that was sort of maybe the height of, I guess, mainstream popularity for, for Uriah Heep, right? Yes, amazing. We keep getting these milestones and anniversaries coming up, which is just <laughs> every time it's, it really does surprise me. Um, but marvelous. I mean, Fallen Angel was was an album that um, I think we'd we'd lost our way in the rock field, but found our way in the pop field. I think I think it got a bit too poppy and nice and polite as opposed to being a full on rock band. Um, Fallen Angel. It's still got good songs, 
don't get me wrong, and I think John Lawton, the vocalist um, at the time, sort of made them quite rocky. But um, yeah, I think we were we were losing our way a little bit from from all the progressive rock we were doing and all the real rock songs we were producing. But it's still a great album, and, and fans still love it. Same here, and just one little milestone in a very long career leading up to this this latest one too. Uh, uh, it, it has been really fun to listen to the new record, and, and again, congratulations on this one, Mick. We'll be excited to hear how these songs sound live. Thank you very much, Carl. They'll, they'll sound great live because, you know, we recorded them live in the studio in the first place, so we can play the whole album from top to bottom with no, 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 no qualms at all on, on live. So um, we look forward to it. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. All right, man, thank you very much for the talk, and, uh, and take care. Thank you, Carl. Thanks very much, mate. Right, Thanks bye. for your support. Thank you. Bye-bye. My thanks to Mick Box of Uriah Heap. Again, that new record is called Living the Dream. Now for my third guests for this episode, Gary Peterson and Rudy Sarzo. They are of The Guess Who, and they've just released the first new Guess Who record in quite some time. It's called The Future Is What It Used To Be. We'll talk about writing songs about America throughout their years and playing to the past, as well as a fun little story about how their current singer ended up on a plane in a seat next to one of their former singers. It's very interesting little moments in their history. It's Kyle Meredith with the Guess Who. Hi, Kyle. Hi, Kyle. It's good to hear from you guys. Uh, congratulations on this new record. The future uh, is what it used to be. This is uh, some good stuff. Thank you very much. I uh, hope you like it when you listen to it. I know it's been a long time for a new record. Uh, why now? What, what, what finally brought this up to the surface for you all? I believe we all felt that the time was right. Uh, we've been collecting people in the band for 56 <laughs> years <laughs> and changing and, and, and morphing. And I think we have the, the people now. And, and I think if you listen to the album and look at the whole package, you'll see why we did it. It's it's because it, it felt right. You talk about, you know, collecting people through the years. I mean, you are sort of in an interesting situation with that. And, and I wonder, when you're writing new music like this for a new album with a band like this, do you have to sort of forget about the past? Do you have to throw that out so it doesn't weigh you down for the present? No, I, I've... I've seen interviews with uh, Derek and 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 Will, who who wrote you know most of the stuff on the app, and they they wrote with this band in mind. You know, they were fans and and played this music just like Rudy will tell you. He played this music when he was when he was uh, learning. It, it's got a certain feel to it. It's got tight harmonies. You know, it's got riff, little guitar riffs, and it was written to sound like the guess who without sounding like the guess who <laughs> you know i mean we didn't set out to write american woman or 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 no sugar tonight or anything like that however if you listen to the album and the way we recorded at analog and with old vintage equipment you'll hear our influences the beatles the stones you know you'll hear the who you'll hear and you you won't you won't really know it but you'll feel it more than saying oh that sounds like you know it, it, it's who we grew up listening to this is this is what inspired us that album i believe is what inspired us to be rock musicians well you hear that especially on the first single with uh, with playing on the radio which I will always appreciate any song that appreciates radio, so I thank you for that one first off, uh, off the bat. Yeah. Well, again, we were a product of radio. You know, I mean, that's that's how we, that was our delivery system for our music. And, and there was no videos, there wasn't anything else except press and radio, yeah. which is what we're doing right now. <laughs> Well, Oddly I th- enough. I think what's interesting about that right off the bat is it does have such 
a classic sound to it. I mean, it's obviously a new song, and it's for the right now, but but it, it pulls off that unique trick of almost sounding like it could have been released anywhere in the last, you know, 40, 50 years. Well, I, I have to tell you a little story about, have you seen the video for that? Yeah. Playing on the radio? Well, I'm going to turn you over to the guy. When I saw him doing this video, I said, that's a rock star. And that's our bass player, Rudy Sarzo. So. Hey, Gary, thank you very much. <laughs> I, I'll tell you, when I saw Rudy in that video, I went, wow, I'd like to hey, be like that. You know, I've been, uh, hi, Kyle. <laughs> I've, been, I've been making videos since, uh, I think my, my, my first video was actually uh, Quiet Riot, uh, Metal Health. And uh, there's, there's a certain component when, when, when you have great music to perform to on a video. It's just very automatic. So that's exactly what happened to me. And, you, you know, when, 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 when the video started rolling, you know, I'm, I'm playing, to, playing on the radio, which is an incredible song, you know. So I just got into the mood of the whole thing. Yeah, it was great because, like I said, at, at, at 72 years old, I'm doing my very first musical video. Who knew? <laughs> and there, and there, and Rudy is showing me the way there. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's got all that experience with with that end of it. It's great to be playing with him, and it's great to be playing with all the guys in our band. They're very talented, great writers, great pop writers. As, as if you listen to the album, you'll hear uh, from cut one to cut ten the essence of pop music. No, it's all in there. And, and even on In America, you know, and, and I know this is a, I mean, it's an interesting time, by the way, just to call a song In America, because there's no way of skirting around that regardless of what you're writing about. It, it would feel to me, right? Well, what the song tells you is that in America, you can get anything you want, getting anything you need. The implication is you can have ups and downs. You can go broke. You can, you can come back. And the implication is that you need to work. Yeah. Or, or work at something in order to have those times. The land of opportunity. Exactly. Right. And it always has been and hopefully always will be. Well, it's a, it's a lot of fun stuff. I, I did have to ask about, uh, I, I, read, I read that actually Burton Cummings has a small hand in a song unintentionally on this record. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I, I've seen the uh, um, interview with, with Derek, and, and yes, the, the story is true. They were sending kind of a connection on the plane uh, going from Los Angeles to Toronto, and, and uh, both Derek had lost his mother when he was younger, uh, around 26 years old, and, and Burton had just lost his mother. So I think Derek felt a, a kinship there, and... and uh, I think there is some of that in, inspiration in, in the song. Of all the people in all the world to end up sitting next to each other on a plane, I mean, that's, that's the universe doing something right there. <laughs> well, the, uni- the universe wants everybody to live in harmony and, and all things, all living things to be in harmony on this planet of ours. And, and maybe it has some other hand that we don't have. Rudy, while I got you there, for you, what's it been like embracing, you know, some of these older songs? How much of it has to be of making it your own versus, you know, serving the, uh, I guess, nostalgia that people have attached to it, to some of those classics? Mm, that is such a good question. I grew up playing Guess Who. Actually, I, I wasn't playing it very well when I was growing up. Now, now I'm playing correctly. Plus, I'm playing with Gary. You know, with the original drummer, and so he's on on every record. So when I close my eyes and I play any of the songs, oh my God, it's just like I'm listening to a record, but I'm playing along to a record, but I'm, you know, but I'm on stage with the band. So it's a very surreal 
feeling, you know, because, you know, I, I, I look at Gary and you know, I see him, okay, and probably through his head what's going on is how he actually recorded the song because, you know, you have to do justice to the song because it's been, it's been, it's gone through so many filters. So what you hear on the record, it's the correct way to actually play the song. So I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. Meanwhile, what's going through my head is all the crazy girlfriends that I had at the time <laughs> <laughs> that the song was being played on the radio. So, you know, it's, it's really is a, a really a blessing to be here playing, you know, with the guess who. That's awesome. Um, before we get out of here, I know um, as far as anniversaries and classics go, These Eyes hits 50 this year, and Wheatfield Soul turns 50 next year. I know you've got the new record out, but is there any opportunity to kind of, any celebrations planned or in mind with any of that? Well, every night on stage we yeah. celebrate the music. <laughs> Absolutely. It doesn't have to be an anniversary to us. It's always now. And to play the music now is totally a celebration. Yeah, uh, to play for people every night, n- no matter whether it's 300 people or three, 3,000 people, we play the legacy of the band and all the people that were in the band that helped create that music. And with the new album, The Future Is What It Used To Be, uh, the title indicates that we are trying to create new legacy to add and honor the old legacy. That's a good answer. That's a really good answer. <laughs> I appreciate you guys to, uh, taking the time to talk to me. And again, congratulations on this uh, on this new record. This was really fun. Thank you, Kyle. Thank thanks. you. Hey, my thanks to Gary Peterson and Rudy Sarzo of The Guess Who. Again, the new record is The Future Is What It Used To Be. And again, also thanks to Uriah Heap and Todd Rundgren for those calls as well. And if you haven't already, take that moment to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening from right now, whether it's YouTube, on Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. After that, head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show every Monday through Thursday from noon to 3 Eastern, where you can also find some bonus episodes of this series. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.